Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. Thank you, Tony Savinis, for being on my podcast today. Um, Thank you. Very, very honoured to be on your podcast. You were recently honoured by the by IAPA as well. Tell yes. me about the. Did you have to come up to Sydney for the um, for the ceremony, or did you just get it in absentia? Uh, no, I was in Sydney and used that as a as a good excuse to get a break and come out with the wife and uh, away from the kids as well. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> and how? What's how rigorous is the IAPA thing? You have to apply, right? What kind of questions do they ask? They, they focus on strategy mindset, how you apply yourself to analytics, specific case studies. Uh, there's an oh, emphasis right. on mentorship um, around, you know, how do you grow teams? How do you grow and develop capabilities? And, and how do you have you developed uh, individuals within your organization? Right. Uh, and, also, and also how you tackle coordinating and driving analytics within your organization or other organizations as a whole as well. Right. Okay, cool. So it's a quite extensive um, process to go through. It's not like you kind of go, hey, I put my hat in a ring and see what happens. You actually have to spend yeah. a couple of hours doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, there's a fair amount of content you've got to put down and provide mm. them. So. Mm. Well, congratulations for making it through and being honoured. Thank you. <laughs> so um, basically what I do in the podcast here is just ask a series of questions, but I know you had a question you thought would be interesting to talk about, which was about wastage and analytics. Do you want to talk to me about what your thoughts were on that? Yeah. So, so look, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite, a, <laughs> quite, a, quite, a, quite a passionate thing that I, I talk about and kind of have come to discover in analytics. I, I do feel that that there's a high degree of wastage. If you look at BI projects and you look at the typical success rate of big data BI and technology projects, the success rate is pretty low. I mean, you know, the, the stats out there range to, you know, say about 70% of BI or essentially technology projects land up being a failure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's reasons why, but even when they're a success and, and you think about the entire analytics uh, process, there's a lot of what I call wastage in, in the space. And if you think about it, analytics and applying analytics is still new and nascent relative to you know, other industries that's very, very, very established, like manufacturing and finance. And, and in those domains, you know, they speak about Lean Six Sigma, all right? They speak about constraint analysis, right? And, and applying that theory and, and those principles. And um, I find that in analytical projects, sometimes the process starts off with what, what data do we have? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we extract? Okay, great. What can we analyze? And then comes, well, what can we do with it? Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, that's, that's the challenge, right? Really that right there is the challenge. And, and what I typically do is if you think about it, it's, it's, it's like a uh, manufacturing, right? Yeah. You have a whole bunch of material, essentially you, you're taking in and then you store that and you process that and fundamentally you get these products and a lot of byproducts. Again, ultimately it's the product you sell at the end that actually adds the value, all right? So if, if I use that as an example, right? If you think about analytics, well, what do you have? You have sources of data and these are your uh, transactional systems. This can be IoT, uh, all the systems that fundamentally will generate that information. And as these multiple sources of information generate this information, well, we, we put it into this silo, right? And we yeah. consolidate this in a data warehouse. 
And there is a massive amount of energy and cost that organizations put into building up these monolithic, you know, data lakes, databases, data warehouses. And the premise by which they sell it to the clients is, well, think of all the value you could extract from this, um, from this data. Yeah. But the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of data that finally goes through that funnel and actually materializes into value, it's a fraction of that data. Right. Mm-hmm. But let's keep going through the process. After you've, you know, consolidated and put this data into a silo, right? Now what we want to do is extract it, right? We want to get this data out. And, yeah. and really what we do is we extract that and we provide this in the form of a visualization tool or self-service uh, analytics. Yeah. And um, we use ClickView, Tableau, Power BI, whatever it is. And um, we see the results and we start seeing the data. Now, the interesting thing is, is that those tools are not analytical tools. They're visualization and extraction tools. <laughs> yes. It's, it's the human being that still analyzes that, or we take that raw information and extract it and then pass it on to some form of um, uh, sophisticated algorithms, which are applying you know, AI, ML, whatever it is that we're doing to extract the insights that we need. So once you've extracted that information, there's still this next process, this next step in the process, which fundamentally is around analysis. And I separate out those two worlds, again, because a lot of, a lot of money goes into visualization which doesn't necessarily always translate into value, right? Because out of those thousand reports or dashboards, which ones are the ones that actually are meaningful and really drive value? Yeah. And so, because part of the, so essentially we're not starting from a client brief saying, I want to know more about this. We're starting from, this is the data we've got, go play with it. And we're in the hands of people who don't know what to do with data. Exactly. And, 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 and there's the point. There's, there's really the principle you just touched on now, right? After you've analyzed it, it goes off to someone who's going to make use of it. And I call that the beneficiation phase, right? When you take that insight and you're going to fundamentally get a return on it, you're going to fundamentally turn it into some sort of economic value, yeah. right? Okay. And that's when it really becomes real. That's really when you get value from that analytical process. So that data in the data, data warehouse doesn't actually add value until it gets to the end of the stream. Yeah. Now, think about the way most processes and flows work. They start at the source, we consolidate, we extract, we then analyze, and then we look to see how we can get benefits from it. Mm-hmm. But if you think of that entire cost funnel, where's most of the cost sitting? It's sitting from the beginning part of their value chain, and it diminishes exponentially going to the end of that value chain. Yeah. Where does the value sit? It sits at the end of the value chain and diminishes exponentially going backwards. <laughs> All right? so, so think of that yeah. paradigm, right? So return on information is actually... Spot on. Exactly, yeah. right? So, so I, I always say work backwards. Yeah. I always say work backwards, right? Sit with the clients, sit with your team, right? And ask the questions, well, what are your leaders? What can you do? Mm. Okay, what can you do? And before you actually ask that, you say, well, what is your strategy and what are your objectives? Okay. Mm. So what is your strategy? What is your objectives? We are looking to improve our customer retention. We have a real, our burning platform is churn and we want to essentially return, retain our customers. Okay. What can we do to improve this? Well, mm. we, you know, can, can um, try and manage uh, customers that are essentially likely to churn. Okay, great. Well, we can help you with that, right? We can give you a list of customers that have a high propensity to churn. Right, and we and now you work backwards. In order to do that, I'm, I'm basically building a predictive model that's going to predict whether someone's likely to churn based on behavior, and we're using AI or ML or whatever techniques we're using for that. 
I need to extract the following sets of data, okay, from the data warehouse. And we always get to the data warehouse and it turns out the data we thought we were going to get isn't actually that accurate. But hey, out of the entire data strategy, yeah. right, if we know that this is the most important thing, let's, let's actually focus on getting that data right. Okay, let's focus on okay. seeing what data we can get from that and get that right, okay, prioritize that because we know that that's going to go straight through the chain and deliver value. Okay. And you keep going through that process and say, well, what else can you do? Right. How else can we, could we, could we now maybe think about of customers that are likely to churn? Well, is it a product problem or is it a price problem? If it's a price problem, well, maybe we can help with price elasticity, right? Maybe we can apply price elasticity techniques, right? And what do we need for that? Well, from the problem rather than working from the data. Spot on. Spot on. And, and oftentimes, that doesn't always happen in organizations. It's almost they want to build a capability. And that's why I also find that organizations typically struggle with building meaningful capabilities internally mm. uh, and making a success out of it because they start with either the data, let's see what we can do with the data, or let's build a capability and figure out how this capability can add value, <laughs> right? Yeah, rather than starting with what is the business need and let's help, exactly. let's help them make those decisions better. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and let's be honest, a lot of these analytical techniques, okay, uh, have been democratized and I, I just see them as tools in a box, yeah. right? Okay, that, the capability is just a tool in a box, okay? Yeah. That tool is going to add zero value if you're not finding the right tool for the right job and you're not actually, you know, doing the right job to start with, right? Yeah. And if indeed you are not helping the customer solve a problem, you just become more pretty, you know, they could they, they go, oh, well, I could have got that out of Excel. And then you basically, you've fucked exactly. it up for every other data analyst who's ever going to come in and try and solve a problem. Exactly. And, and, and you know what? I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned Excel because then we talk about technology, right? Do, do we yeah. use Excel? Do I use Power BI? Do I use... Uh, R is I use SaaS. Okay, now we speak about the technologies. And again, whether you use R or, or, or SaaS, it doesn't make a difference, right? Okay, it, the technology difference. The technology, yeah. the technology is going to make the process efficient and or sustainable, right? Yeah. We're looking to automate that process. So you know what? I could actually go in and I can get a team to run and crunch those numbers on that propensity list of people that are likely to churn. Hmm. Okay. I could have applied conjoint analysis to have a good sense as to what are the pain points of the product that that are more meaningful for one customer segment versus another customer segment. Like I can I can do all this, right? But if I have a team that has to do this and crunch these numbers, it becomes costly, right? Yeah, totally. And sustainability then becomes an issue. So technology really is about, well, how can we streamline that? How can we automate that? And yeah. once you've automated that, that just goes into the system, is automated, it's a process that runs, and use the team to then crack the next atom okay, solve and deliver value somewhere else. And then you're just looking at technology as something that's, you know, fulfills it and drives sustainability and uh, efficiency for the process. So do you think there are some industries where they're doing better at lower wastage and some industries where they're higher in the wastage? Is there a... That's a very good question. (laughs) That's a very, very good question. Um, Yeah, look, I think think your financial sector... Your, your retail, um, manufacturing, mining, you know, each, each one of these sectors have a different bend and focus and have applied analytics in different uh, ways or means. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think when it comes to larger, big institutionalized organizations, financial services being, being the bigger ones, um, 
it's 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 like a massive anthill. Okay, it, there's there's a million ants in this anthill. Each one's doing a small little job in this big, 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 big yeah. mound, and and fundamentally it works. It fundamentally works. But but the amount of efficiency, focus, and and focus on capabilities and focus on data and, and strategic alignment that runs across the the group becomes really difficult. And it's not difficult because they're mismanaging it. It's just the sheer size of it and the dynamics of a big organization like that. So it's not it's not about essentially um, you know, the industry or the organization. It's just difficult to manage. It's the nature of, of, of that process. Because it seems to me it also comes down to the strength of the leaders who are setting the strategies and who are approving or disapproving of particular initiatives. Because if it was you as a leader... And someone said, I'm going to look at all the data and then I'm just going to make a tableau. You'd be like, no, we need to find out what the problem is. But other leaders would be like, great, go. Um, so, so it's kind of like the, the, the quality of the data actually depends a lot on the quality and the propensities of the leader who's leading the team. Yeah, yeah, spot on. So, so RMIT actually has been doing research in – Analytical readiness and analytic, analytical maturity within right. organizations. Yeah. Okay. And, and a lot of the research shows that if you look at it from kind of the critical parts of you know, strategic alignment, analytical capability, data management capability, and then just organizational governance structure enablements, okay, one of the key things that actually starts kind of coming out and, and being cited as kind of a dominant factor actually starts off with uh, uh, alignment, uh, strategic alignment, and leadership alignment. I can okay. understand that because if you don't have strategic alignment, we're all asking for different questions, and we're not solving the most important ones. Spot on, exactly. And you don't have the CTO focusing on delivering a technology that's cost effective without paying respect and understanding. Well, actually, it's not about that, right? It mm. starts off we're trying to reduce churn. We have a burning platform. Okay, we have to retain our customers. If we don't do this, we fundamentally are going to fail. Okay? Yeah, we won't have anything to fund anybody to do any research. Yeah. Spot on. And then you then you essentially have the marketing uh, director uh, or, or, or CMO who then understands that their focus and attention is around positioning the brand better or essentially focusing more on existing customers and positioning existing customers than new customers, right? You have the retention team that's, that's focusing around that. You have the analytics team understanding that they are gearing and understanding the delivery team to, to provide analytics that support them to do that job better and retain customers better and coming up with those, those things from the toolbox. Yeah, you have yeah. the technology uh, executive who, who's focusing on or what is the you know what is the technology on the platforms, and you have the the CIO that's focusing on well, it's not just about creating this mound of data; it's actually the quality of that data that matters. Okay, mm-hmm. we can prioritize other things. Let's make sure we get that right. Yeah, and wow. the amount of, of information. Where do you stand on the CMO, CTO, CIO? Should there be a chief analytics officer, or what's your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't really have a particular view on that. I, I've seen a couple of articles talk about the fact that a CMO has become less relevant and it's become more of an analytics capability and mindset. At the end of the day, you know, the, the title is irrelevant. It's, it's, it's the purpose and objective. What, what is someone doing, right? Marketing is about awareness. It's about positioning. 
and marketing is a great, great place to actually start applying advanced analytics, right? It, it's, 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 if you think about marketing spend and, and, and the lever marketing has in revenue-focused, product-focused, customer-focused businesses, okay, yeah. it really is the critical seat, yeah. right, that, that can make or break, break an organization. And having a CMO with a really strong analytics background, okay, uh, really actually makes uh, a massive, massive difference. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jose Henrique, I mean, that's exactly, I mean, he, he spent a lot of his time focusing and, and being in a marketing position. Uh, but his analytical understanding and capability is, is incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. And he was able to do fundamental, you know, uh, improvements and, and fundamentally shift organizations and improve them because he understood that balance of it's not just about marketing, it's it's smart marketing, right? It's, yeah, it's exactly. Using about that efficiency. Yeah, exactly. Which goes back to the wastage thing that we started with, was essentially get 20% more done by just making more sense in terms of the things you look for and the things you ask for. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. So how did you get into analytics? What's your career path to get to here? Um, so background is electrical engineering. Um, okay. After my my postgraduate, decided to um, go do you know really strong engineering career and yeah. worked at a military research and development company, and had lots of fun in the in the three to four years I was there. It was just an incredible experience. But through that course, I came to realize that there was a side of me that, as much as I enjoyed the engineering and the analytics. I also enjoyed business and yeah. and understanding how to apply that to a real you know to a business context. So I I started uh, to kind of broaden my skill set. Started an MBA. Uh, was fortunate enough to to join Business Science Corporation uh, as a consultant and and which focuses on analytics and technology as a, as nice. a and progressed my career to uh, you know becoming director. Uh, managed to uh, start and uh, be a shareholder of uh, Revenue Science. Oh, nice. Yeah. And yeah, the journey's been uh, fantastic. Absolutely love what I do and a high degree of enjoyment and satisfaction where you can apply really, really smart analytics and see real value yes. um, being delivered within a business that uh, not only can add value to the business from a bottom line, but if, if you can apply analytics to things like safety and, and improving health, just Anything. overall yeah quality of life for individuals then that's very meaningful that's that's a meaningful space to work in totally i was in singapore last week and uh, i visited a design museum which excited me no no end because it was essentially data applied to a whole heap of interesting things like you know, how do we keep people who've got a limp how do we help them you know when we write make a prosthetic for the limb or when we give them one of those you know those supporting things that keep your knee when you've twisted your knee yeah they make them while well, they're in the process of designing them so that it will take haptic feedback from the knee and support you properly for the period that you're healing your knee. Like, wow, there's a motorbike that will take haptic feedback from the rider and adjust how it rides. It's a driverless motorbike, but you get to actually ride on top. Just taking feedback not just from the, the, um, from the, the rider's, you know, body but also from the writer's face this is all data this is just data and gone crazy in a beautiful way it's just exciting and there's so much data we can get and and as you say if we if we stop wasting half of our time and half of our world reworking stuff that we should never have done in the first place because it didn't answer any 
business important questions, we'll have so yeah. much more information to play with and time to play with it because we're not wasting our lives. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because, I mean, you, you touch on a point there which, which, which I always talk about, right? So I always talk about it both from a applying analytics and also just from managing your daily routine and your daily life, right? So, so I always talk about the demand lands up virtually being infinite, mm-hmm. but your time or analytical resources are finite, finite right? Okay. Right. And, and, and let's talk about analytical projects. Let me, let me kind of frame that in the analytical project space. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if let's say we walked into an organization, all right, and we just wanted to start coming up with creative, uh, you know, innovative value-adding ideas, okay, that, that you could apply analytics to within an organization, and both of us sat down and wrote down ideas for a period of, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. I assure you, we probably will come up with more work in those 15 minutes, all right, that to deliver them would possibly take two years plus, okay, with a big team to deliver on, right? Yeah. So the demand is, is, is really massive. There's so many analytical things that can actually happen and you can actually do, right? But your, your, your team size, the capability, the information, everything you have, your resources spend is finite. So if, if, if you're not actually focusing on being very, very specific, going back to the focus on the strategic objective where you can add value, then it becomes really, really, really high degree of wastage. And, and a lot of times, a lot of times I actually frustrate some of the team members that, that, that I manage. And, and, and what I do is once they actually do something, so, so they might actually do it as a pet project, they might do it over the weekend or essentially they're working on something to deliver to a client or internally. Uh-huh. And then they'll deliver it and they'll do something really magnificent, really, really magnificent. Yeah. And then, and then, and then I, I get them to borderline hate me because I ask the question, so what? Yeah. And yeah. Dismissing all the work that they're doing. And they get deflated. I mean, what do you mean? So what? Look at it. It's magnificent. Look at these charts. We're plotting out the movement of people throughout the, you know, uh, throughout the region. And then look how demand shifts over time. That's great, really. That's fantastic. But so what? Yeah. And 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 really that so what question also helps drive the thinking. It should actually be a cultural thing, right? Yeah. Every single time something, a report gets bad. I hate reports because, you know, I think sometimes there's, there's literally, literally hundreds of reports that out of those hundreds of reports, probably only about 10 or 20. And in fact, I have a case study where it's exactly that. Uh, 20 reports were the only things that were actually looked at. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's find those so, 20 pieces of information and give you those. Exactly. And imagine taking those 20 reports and using the team and resources to actually focus in, you know, driving more value in that or, or, or creating more intelligence around those critical things that are important for the business. Yeah. And, and again, that, that, that brings it back to the wastage question, right? So, so, so what? Yeah. Exactly. So, so you'd mentioned uh, your team can be frustrated with you at times. How do you get a team together? What's, how do you recruit? What do you look for? What makes a better data person? Okay, so I, I talk about the four C's. Okay, so so capability is key, right? I mean that's foundational, but but I don't place that much important importance in capability. If, if someone is smart enough, all right, they can teach themselves. And let's be honest, data science is such a fast-growing space, all right, that it's it's actually less about what the person currently knows and rather their ability 
to actually learn new and Nessian things that are that are that are emerging, right? So you okay. recruit on potential rather than actual. Yes, yeah, so it's a capability to learn. Okay, capability to understand the technical space, but also grow and learn and adapt. Okay, so that's capability, right? That's your foundation, right? The next one's commercial thinking. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, doesn't always have to be there, but there has to be a degree of commercial thinking. That goes back to the return on insights, right? Uh, it goes back to understanding that um, if I do this piece of analytics, how, how is it going to fundamentally add value? Okay. Am I going to ensure a customer remains? Am I going to ensure that someone is less likely to have a fatality? All right. Is it going to ensure that um, someone is going to have a better joint and knee, you know, that haptic feedback you're talking about around the, the knee joint, right? Um, so, so that's commercial thinking, all right? And, and then the so what question always always helps in, in driving that thinking. Yeah. Um, the third one's compassion. Oh, and, interesting. Yeah. Compassion so in what sense? Well, well, in multiple senses. So, so it's, it's compassion to a client and understanding that they have a particular need and purpose and you're actually supporting them in delivering what their objectives are. Uh, it's going beyond the client and understanding that the client has a client, okay? And what is it that you're doing to essentially um, uh, make the customer's life better, okay, and improve their lives in whatever you're doing? And and it's compassion in, in working collaboratively as a team and, and and working with someone else and working collaboratively in a team and uh, working together in a harmonious way. And typically, compassion seems to be the kind of grinding principle there that, that, that enables that. Um, and then the last one I said was four C's. The, the last one's creativity. Right. Um, I find that a high degree of creativity, it's, it's sometimes, again, you've got this toolbox, right? But or a set of brushes and paint, okay? Um, and sometimes to make that, you know, uh, masterpiece or to solve and build something magnificent, it has to be a degree of creativity as to bring that all together and see how to solve this, especially when it comes to, to data, right? I mean, I don't think there's been an organization, save one, where, where um, data has actually been as clean and uh, integrous as the people who work in the organization believe. So you're always using data that doesn't really... That's slightly muddy, say. Just slightly muddy, right? But the creativity allows someone to say, okay, well, is the trend of the data, is there a bias, okay? And, and what sort of noise do we have in that bias? And how could we basically reframe the data? How can we reposition it? Maybe a ratio is more accurate. Maybe a ratio is the wrong thing to use, right? And, and there's this degree of creativity, not only the toolboxes, okay, uh, but also how and what data you can use and where you can source information from. I mean, it, I mean, hundreds of use cases and, and business cases around how creativity of where you can source information from, right, that could actually get you the insight you need. I mean, the one case study um, I had come across was where they were looking for fraud, where it was very difficult to actually find the information of the, the individual and ensuring that the information that the individual was putting in was, was, was correct. Yeah. But they looked at how they were typing. Uh, the degree, wow. the pace at which they were typing their name. I mean, hell, your name, you're not going to type it slowly or... Right? So, <laughs> Unless so you're checking the spelling because it's not your name. Yes, exactly. Right? So, so wow. that's creativity, right? You have to be creative to basically totally. think about and, and see that perspective and say, well, actually, here's another piece of information source that we can actually use and, and yield. Okay? Exactly. Something and we haven't thought about. To yeah. really have a high degree of sensitivity in, in, in determining, you know, whether it's fraudulent activity. 
Yeah, because ultimately they say the expert is someone who can you do all the right things from all the wrong places. So if your data's a little dirty and you can still find stuff or you can find another way, then that's what makes you an expert as a data person is it's, it's uh, here's the answer I want. How do I find enough evidence to give me that? Um, yeah. It's interesting. So your four C's, I like the four C's. Um, and what, um, talk to me about professional development for yourself. So you, obviously you're a strong learner. You're out there all the time. What do you do to keep up? I, I tend to look for business cases. Uh, I look for articles and business cases. I find conferences. I mean, you can get a lot from LinkedIn and TED Talks, and a lot of content's already out there. I mean, it's uh, I don't see that much value in, in, in conferences, but but if you you look at the right podcast, you look, look find good content, and also specifically articles and business cases, because okay. business cases really start to actually. There's two reasons why business cases are great. Because one is it's not a business case if it didn't prove value. Yes. Absolutely. It wasn't academic, right? It wasn't something hypothetical or interesting, okay, as a theory. It fundamentally is a business case because it was the value and tangible value that it delivered, right? And then it's also telling in the process they followed. So it's not just about applying analytics. Again, that's just a tool in the toolbox, right? Yeah. Uh, they tell you the story in a business case on the softer side of things. How did they get buy-in? How did they change the culture? How did they fundamentally get alignment? How did they deliver? How did they overcome technological issues, right, yeah. to actually achieve what they needed to do? So it's got this massive, rich, rich, rich wealth of information inside it. Uh, is, there, sort of like, is there a particular site or a particular organization that publishes business cases you found particularly useful? So, so I find Medium, that, that's an app. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, where, where it's pretty smart that if you really target it at what you're looking for specifically, it learns of the articles you like. Yeah. And actually, and it has a broad range of them. So, so I've, I've got a subscription to that. And I found a wonderful one that I've actually posted on, on LinkedIn for Netflix, where, where Netflix was using uh, analytics around the way they put the artwork and how oh, artwork yes. was uh, it's oh, a fantastic. I read that article actually. Yes, yeah, I yeah, found yeah, yeah. that on Medium, right? So, so yeah. that's that's the and, and that's the thing. I mean, that's a wonderful. I mean, if you read that article and, and go yeah. go to the go to the LinkedIn page to to to, to read it, uh, they, it's so detailed in the sense that they talk about the value. They talk about how it fundamentally so the improvement factors on each iteration of their uh, of their process. But they also spoke about the technological challenges they had. So actually, it, it's it's customized per person, not even segments. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's so specific and smart, and they had to overcome so many challenges. And it's so splendid, really. It, it really yeah. is splendid what people are doing with data. Okay. Yeah, How exactly. can you not be excited by this? <laughs> absolutely, no, absolutely. I love my job and I love what I do. And this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. So to, so to go more theoretical, if you were going to build an analytics process or analytics capability from scratch in an organization right now, how would you start? So we spoke about leadership and alignment in the leadership space. Yeah, right? totally. I, think, I think you really need to start off um, at that level. So, uh, yeah, look, there's, there's two parts. One is how you would build it as an organization. The other one is how you'd build it as a, a service practice. Okay, so right. let's talk about an organization. Strategic alignment is the critical first part. I think the second part is, again, based on what you deliver, 
the funding and resources that you'll get to develop that capability, because it does come down to budget and funding, okay? Yep, absolutely. Um, comes down to the, the business case and what you deliver. So first part is get, get alignment. Understand what is the strategic objectives, what is the alignment between the organization and what you need to focus on. The next one is to find quick wins, really, and, and find those quick win projects. And, and, and sometimes areas within the business, what they try to do is they, they get a bit too ambitious on projects. They look to solve a monolithic project. Rather um, than something quick that can show you what it does. Exactly, right? And and sometimes overcomplicate something. So you don't have to apply such a high degree of analytics to deliver the value. So mm-hmm. go through the quick ones. Be very careful not to you know make it too much of a big project. And then go through multiple ones that have multiple values and to different parts of the organization. Mm-hmm. That happens, the awareness, the collaboration, and alignment naturally happens. And then it's about hiring in the right teams and building them up. And, and going back to your four C's, the teams would have those four C's, yes? Exactly. And, and I find that mentorship in analytical teams is critical and key because oh. capability will always be there, right? Commercial thinking needs to be passed on by conversation and mentorship and working with teams and, and always talking about that business case, right? And asking what is that return on insights going to be? And that's through conversation. So mentorship in building the capabilities and the teams is another critical part. Sharing information, all right? So a lot of times projects happen in isolation. I mean, it happens even with our our organization where some teams are doing magnificent work, like really groundbreaking work. But if they're not sharing that knowledge, right? Yeah, they don't tell anybody and nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah, And then what typically happens, someone's going to reinvent that, rebuild it, or not take the lessons learned and bank them, right? So create this like mini TED talk where you encourage people within organizations to share what they've learned, to discuss how it added value. It also then helps the analytical teams develop more social skills and and be more... Exactly. And it's also a kind of a form of a PIR, post-implementation review, which most teams do not do, but everybody says we should. So at least by socializing the results, you end up with a PIR if you get a team. Listen, but yeah, the social skills, well, yeah, spot on. And I love the fact you brought up the PIR because because yeah. that's very important, right? Before you start a project, we spoke about ensuring where the value is and driving the value, right? Yeah. Um, and putting a business case forward. But but what happens if the business case doesn't get delivered, right? What happens if we don't actually see the value come out on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're only going to know that if it is that after you've actually implemented that project, you keep monitoring it. You say, well. Did we see churn improve, right? Did we see customers retain? Do we see that our NPA score has improved and is better, okay? And, and keep track of that. And if it, if it didn't, actually, that's more magnificent than if it did because if it didn't, you know where you're failing, all right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And, and if you go back to the wastage, if you tie that back to the wastage, your PIR is going to show right. you there was wastage. How do we prevent that happening again? But, you know, exactly. it's you and I are talking to the converted here. One of my previous lives, I was a performance improvement productivity improvement consultant and that's pretty much all we did what's the information and whatever scanty information you have what's the information telling you about what you did yesterday that means you shouldn't do that again and I'm just as a customer I'm constantly frustrated because I'll call and say hey I'm just letting you know that this isn't working on you know in your website or in your customer process and they'll go oh oh sorry sometimes but they never say okay let's put a system in place and Make sure that never happens again because they don't get it. And you're like, oh, isn't the 
world moving forward yet? (laughs) Basically that, the customer saying, or the customer didn't have the experience they should have had in terms of the data they should have, they wanted to get or the decision they wanted to make. How do we make sure we don't embark on that kind of process again and repeat our error? Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it kind of goes back to where I started off, where I was saying kind of large organizations typically uh, don't always get that alignment, don't always no. get that efficiency, right? And it's not because of the organization, it's just the nature of that system, right? That yeah. anthill, right? Where it's just difficult at that person at the call center to actually have the ability to log that into the knowledge base, to actually yeah. drive change because they're not enabled to do so and they're just managing that one part of the entire you know, process. So it worries me, for example, that that Optus, for example, who I'm currently got my my phone with, uh, I'm talking to a bot. A bot's not going to log that problem. Is the bot going to notice that you know I had no? I don't think so. They look for different well, data. They'll have different yes. data, but they won't get live customer feedback. Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to sit in a in a feedback session and do some market research to find out something that my customer is willingly going to tell me if I just let them give them the forum. <laughs> no, Agreed. Okay, so, so I, you know, I, I've got two minds about bots. All right, so, yeah. so the one is kind of the downside of it being what you say. But on the other hand, it does provide the platform for improvement, right? So the fact that you're talking to a bot, right, and as that starts to improve, as that gets better, and the next layer goes on that says, well, can the bots and can a system start determining repeated issues? Can yeah. it automatically feed back into itself? Can it get smarter and better? And, and we hope so. <laughs> being in the digital space does allow you actually to have that information rather than, you know, so... so it, in the it, same way Netflix learns what pictures I want to see for to make me want to watch a show, the bots should be doing that same thing with telephones. We'll find and out. I, 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 think, I, think, I think time will... I think chatbots and, and virtual agents will, will, will get better over time. They have to. And they're much better now than they were. I mean, we're, we're seeing improvement daily. Every time I interact with a bot or a chatbot or a whatever, I'm like, oh, this is better than it was, you know, three years ago, five years ago, ten years I ago. I think time... I, I think it's the right platform. I think it's just got to mature as a technology yeah. and a platform and, and it's just the layers that are going to be stacked on top of it mm. that will make it better. But but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that that's going to actually make things more efficient and, and hopefully reduce call waiting times. Oh yeah, wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have two random questions. One one I wanted to talk, ask you about um, uh, analytics and s- Oh, what's it called? What's that thing where they make post-it notes, put post-it notes everywhere? Agile. How do you agile? Yes. Agile, pro, agile applied to analytics. What's your? Oh, that's a that's a very good question. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, agile is uh, branching into an agile debate or discussion is is, is a big one. I mean, uh, I know we can have a whole uh, podcast on that. Maybe I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, agile, agile. I mean. Because we are an analytics and technology company, we apply a lot of agile within the technology we build. Okay. And there's a lot in agile that's good. The, the, the quick wins we spoke about before, the constant, the, the basically the performance inf- implementation reviews, all those kinds of things are built into exactly. it. I just exactly. how you do it, I think, gets tricky. It, it is, and I think a lot of times agile, the original intent of agile was actually to reduce wastage. As time's gone past, I think Agile's more around just being dynamic, 
rather, rather than being more efficient. Okay, and I think there's, a, there's such a subtlety between those yes. two differences, right? So dynamic means I'm adaptable, I'll change. Efficient means I'm still delivering a particular objective. I'm still fundamentally have a clear view as to what I'm going to deliver and I have to deliver it. Mm. And, and, and that's really the sensitivity of where Agile can get wrong, right? So if you're just dynamically changing and adapting, but you don't have a clear view that it has to be delivered at a particular point in time and it has to solve this particular problem and it has to add value, okay, mm. it can get lost. It can get lost. So Agile is wonderful for the analytics space, okay, and arguably far more efficient in doing so. But you have to remind the teams constantly, okay, on, just being on the, exactly. I mean, we we often speak about something called the definition of victory, all right, and and it oh, talks nice. about the fact of of well, what is it that you're going to fundamentally do, all right? What is it that you'll deliver? But of the thing you deliver, how will it add value? Yeah. And you want that to be front of mind every single time you're going through every iteration because you, you can lose that. You can forget what the objective is and someone comes up with a great creative idea, yeah. okay, which is fantastic and very dynamic, but maybe you didn't actually have to go that complex. Maybe you didn't have to because out of the objective, it's only going to really solve or address 10% yeah. of what you're trying to achieve and you're putting time and effort into it and it's great and smart and wonderful. But sometimes it's just activity for the sake of activity. Spot on. And, and it's adapting and you lose track. It's about getting you lost in that agile process rather than apply agile, but be very deliberate, very focused as to what you're going to deliver on this particular date. This is fundamentally what you're going to look to solve, and that's how it's going to add value. Keep those front of mind the whole time. Cool. Uh, and that, that's really where I think agile sometimes can get lost. In, yeah, in this yeah. Oh, and, and sorry for springing that question on you. I'm, you. You did a very good job of answering it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, the final question is about your favourite charity. What's your favourite charity? Do you have one? Uh, I, I do, I do. So, so, I mean, in general, children and, and anything essentially with youth is, yeah. is, is something meaningful because fundamentally, I mean, you can look at it from an economic perspective, from an MPV perspective, yeah. You know, you add value at that, you know, young age and it's value that basically... Um, that keeps on giving, yes. <laughs> keeps on giving and it's, it's, it's a long-term value that can be gained. Two, two areas really is, is one is uh, childrenoffire.org where essentially it's a fund that looks at um, helping children who have been burn victims. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. And helping them essentially with sur you know, surgical operations. And mm -hmm. um, the other one's education. And, and the one is, like I mentioned, I, I, I do some collaborative work with RMIT and it's just yeah. guest lecturing. And, and I challenge anyone that listens to this podcast that's in the space, actually contact the university, offer yourself to RMIT uh, for, for guest lecture because those students in that story that you share with them around the case studies and experiences you have, okay, yeah. that, that's meaningful, right? They, they learn a lot of theory, okay? But those case studies, those real-life case studies that really, you know, that is actually significant for them to actually use as a platform to learn and grow and be better at. Yeah. Before um, they get into the workplace, it's much better for them to understand what's happening instead of being fed just theory. Yeah. yeah. Internships, often internships. I also drive a, a collaboratively drive a STEM program uh, right. with Hampton Primary where, you know, we work on micro bits and get the, the primary school, you know, engaged in that. And, and again, that's about, you know, driving, you know, uh, uh, more awareness in, in, in the youth around what they can do and how they can apply engineering and analytics mm. and challenge them in understanding, you know, well, this is 
this is how it adds value in the real world. And if you get passionate and excited about this, this is a potential career. And, and quite honestly, uh, more and more becoming important uh, around engineering, analytics, and science uh, into the future for them than, than, than ever before. That's fabulous. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultant's Consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me. <laughs>